Hello and welcome to the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast. This is episode three, season two, right here on the Inner Sanctum Network. My name is Jono and as I have been every week this season, I am joined by both Rory Dennis and Sean Mortal. Rory, <coughs> how are you doing, my friend? Another week in Canberra, another week in lockdown, but the cricket on our TV screen has been, well, <laughs> it's been great to watch. Yeah, that's right. Those women's games have been amazing. Yeah, another week in Canberra. It's pretty cold and wet today, so it's not not awfully great, but let's get through a great podcast and uh, give the audience what they deserve. And Sean, it's um, it's the day before Christmas. Um, it's the day before a test match. It's a very exciting day on the calendar here in Australia. Oh, it's a wonderful day to be alive if you're a cricket lover, isn't it? There's nothing quite like waking up knowing that Test Match Cricket is just on the horizon. Mm. Well, before we get that, I guess we do need to continue talking about the ongoing series and particularly the magnificent cricket we have seen in Mackay over the last couple of days, the Australian and Indian women in the multi-format series. We last spoke after Australia had a pretty comprehensive victory and it was a Darcy Brown show in the first game, but the Indians came storming back into the series. And well, we, we do have to talk about the miracle in Mackay on Friday night and just all the different twists and turns that that game had, but it's really set up through the Indians. I guess the Indians getting their act together. We've now got a fantastic rest of the series to look forward to. And every single one of the remaining games, it has a lot riding on it. Yeah, that's right. The That second game was ridiculous to watch. Uh, it's on the edge of my seat the whole time. That yeah, I'm not sure about you guys, but that was definitely no ball for me. Mostly just because it got Australia the win. But uh, yeah, it's a great game and the series is well poised now. I think it's four points to two. So I think Australia should probably get it done in the last few games. But it's, it's close. India have done better than I thought they would do. I agree with that. I think India's level of cricket they've been able to produce has been stunning. And, I mean, Friday night will go down as a classic, but, I mean, this whole three-game series, as much as we probably hate it in the dominant Australian sphere where we want to see Australia just continuing that streak, it's pretty good for women's cricket just to see an amazing series. It might be a landmark in, you know, five to ten years' time of Australia not being, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else in world cricket. It's interesting that you mentioned the streak there, Sean. I saw an interesting tweet put out by Daniel Cherney, um, age journalist, friend of the show. He mentioned that it's probably a good thing that the streak ended now before the upcoming World Cup in March, April next year, before they continue on this winning run and they're still on that winning streak going into the World Cup and there's just all the pressure on them. And we saw what happened here in Australia in 2020 in the home world cup where they were just expected to win had an early loss and then the pressure was on them right from the start so for them to go into that tournament still on a massive winning run haven't lost an odi game in about five years heading into a world cup and the pressure's on for young and old it's probably a good thing that they had a loss now just if you can ever have a good loss it's probably a good thing that they tasted defeat now to, I guess, even spur them on more when they get back playing that format of the game to say, right, we're going to really go on a tear here. Yeah, and I think that's like an old AFL kind of thing where you have to have a loss at some point in the season. You might as well have it in the middle before you can, and not at the final, so you can build some momentum going into that that tournament. In this case, that's going to be the World Cup for the women. So, yeah, I think obviously we don't like to see Australia lose, but I think it's better to see them lose like one match out of a multi-format series and see them lose the final. Definitely agree. And I mean, I just been thinking of the pressure that might be taken off their back now that there's no streak to add on to it. As you were talking about, John, in that 2020 World Cup, they had the world of pressure on them and they're going to have it again in this one day World Cup just because of the body of work they've put together in the past few years. But being able to not have that streak also weighing them down throughout that tournament, even though it might seem annoying now because you want to continue it and you don't want to give India a look in and being a bit challenger, I think it also is going to do a lot for probably their sort of mental well-being throughout the tournament when it, when it rolls around. 
Um, player of the one day series for me, I'm not sure about you boys, but I really thought Talia McGrath was the player of that leg of the tour, constantly providing an option with the ball and the bat. She, along with Beth Mooney, she saved Australia and got them back into the game in that second one day international. And then in the third one day international was tossed the ball early, came in when she did and really got the game moving forward and got Australia to the total of around about 260 in the third, in the third, in the third game. Uh, she's definitely for mine, put her hand up and place forward for one of those middle order spots in the test match. And potentially even in the T20 matches going forward, she's proven really hard to dislodge now from that middle order as that all round option. She has to be a, definitely one of the few in sort of that talking point just because of what she's been able to do. And I mean, she's bided her time at the state level and has put together a really good body of work. So, I mean, she was just terrific too and really sort of saved Australia. It's one of the rare times where you see Australia's vaunted top order need help in that middle bit and she provided in spades. And then with the young bowling attack, she did the exact same. So there's definitely nothing to fault with her series so far. Yeah, that's right. And I think for for me at least, it's just good to see another McGrath in the Australian team. That's just comfort. Um, I, I was wait, I was really, really waiting and hoping for a court Healy bold McGrath. Yes, that would be. That's just classic stuff. It makes you feel safe. Um, but yeah, she was. She's obviously she's taken a cricket to another level in the off season. And what she was able to do in that second match in particular was yeah, just incredible. She kept Australia in that game. Played a second fiddle to a Mooney that allowed you know Australia to win. Yeah, well, she's been working on it for lots of seasons now back at the Scorpions and the Strikers, and it's great to see her getting that opportunity for Australia. Of course, moving into the Test match, we will touch on India shortly and what they were able to do and some of the, I guess, selection headaches that they might have. But for Australia, not only do they have selection headaches, they've got some injury worries. We learned yesterday that... Rachel Haynes has been ruled out for the remainder of the series against India with that hamstring. And while they have both been declared fit at the moment, there are still obvious injury clouds over Beth Mooney and Georgia Wareham. Sean, if you were a selector, which way would you be going? Beth Mooney made her test debut in the Ashes in 2019 against England over in Taunton where Australia had a pretty comfortable victory and Georgia Wareham just missed out on that spin bowling position to her good friend and Victorian Sophie Molyneux. Of course, you'd like a spin bowler, particularly a leg spin bowler under the light pink ball could prove to be the difference. It's going to be very interesting to see how Australia, A, structure their team and B, how they look at filling the holes that they need to fill with all their with all their all-rounders and how they plug and play different players into different holes and different parts of the order. It, it is. And it's going to probably be make or break for them going forward. I think personally, if Mooney's right to go with already no Haynes in there, I think you need her somewhere in that team, whether it's opening or whether you push her down the order and you give someone like Georgia Redmayne a chance, who's shown great form is probably where the decision is. But I could imagine if she's fit, they're going with Beth Mooney just because of what she's been able to do. I think they need her experience and not just really in test cricket, but just her nous and ability to guide a batting order through. Um, and But Wareham's an interesting one because, I mean, although you really want a leg spinner, she isn't one of the first choice spinners in the test match sphere yet. And you do have options, as you're talking about with Molyneux, you still have other really good spinning options. So it probably depends on which pace bowlers they're going to be able to put together. And if they think they've got a strong enough pace attack that's going to roll through India, they might be safe in resting Wareham and making sure she's fully fit before they risk her again. Yeah, Wareham's special, specialty is definitely in the T20 format. That's where she does come into her own. Rory, Matthew Mott spoke yesterday. He mentioned that there could be up to about four debutantes in this Australian 11. Um, Annabelle Sutherland is widely tipped to 
come in to be one of those fast bowling options. Stella Campbell's also been spoken about as a fantastic test bowling prospect. We saw her in that third game getting lots of steep pace and bounce, and you just wonder what she might be able to do with a pink ball under lights. Who would your four bowlers be into, into this test match starting tomorrow? Yeah, that's a it's a big question, obviously. I'm not sure about you guys, but just quickly, um, I said last week that Elise Perry should stop bowling. Do you think that's a decision that was correct considering the figures she pulled up from the last couple of games? I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's something that will be spoken about moving forward. It's definitely a discussion that will be had around the Australian dressing room, particularly with their injury history. And also to be said to Matthew Mott spoke about this yesterday to come into a series and do all the training and then have to go into 14 days quarantine in a room where you essentially have to tools down as he put it for 14 days that certainly would have had an effect on it but it's interesting um Sean what do you reckon no I'm definitely agree now with what Rory was getting on I just think it's not worth it and I mean her bowling in the past year or two, although it's still at a very high level, it's definitely not what it was. And I think the point now is you want to save Perry the batter because I think they need her in her spot. So I definitely see the merit to it. It just really depends on the bowling strokes they're going to be able to bring through. Like if you've got people like Nicola Carey and, you know, talking about Talia McGrath, if you've got them firing, then you probably don't need what she offers with the ball because, you know, she wasn't bowling a full quota of overs in any game either so it's the question is do you need that opening the bowling uh, yeah I think that's probably right um yeah Perry she, she's obviously one of the greats the probably the greatest of all time in terms of women's cricket but yeah I think the time with the ball is probably over uh, in terms of the test match and the four bowlers that I would go with I'd probably have uh, Darcy Brown if she's fit um this is all subject to fitness obviously uh Georgia Wareham if once again if she's fit if not then I'd probably bring Molly Strano into that spot I know it's not ideal placing a, replacing a leg spinner with someone that doesn't bowl leg spin, but it's kind of you run out of options at some point. Uh, also have Carey and then Sutherland as well. I think Sutherland's extremely underrated. She's uh, yeah, she's come a long way, and I think it's probably time to to give her a test cap. But I think the the bigger question here is why have we got four people debuting? And it's simply that it's, like we don't play enough test cricket. Women don't play enough test cricket. I think that's something that's got to be fixed. Yeah, it's. It's a decent shout. Like, I reckon Sutherland will play. I reckon Darcy Brown will play. And I reckon Stella Campbell will play as well. Um, they could be three out of the four. The bit, the interesting one for me, and I, you mentioned this just before, um, Sean, is who's going to open the batting? Um, with Rachel Haynes, usually well, she comes up in the one-day match. And as I mentioned in the last pod, Nicole Bolton usually opens the batting in the last three test matches that Australia plays has played and she's not in the squad. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, who they pigeonhole into that opening position. Georgia Redmayne opens the batting for the Queen for Queensland in the WNCL batted three during the hundred and for the Brisbane heat last WBBL and in the Australian winter. So that might be an option there. It's just going to be very interesting to see how they go. Obviously, you've got the engine room in Lanning and Perry at three and four, and then you've got the all-rounders in Mooney, Gardner, and probably McGrath at five, six, and seven. So it'll be interesting to see how they put it all together. Moving over to the Indian side of things, we saw a lot of their exciting young talent, particularly in the one-day series. Um, but there's one thing, I guess before we get onto it a bit more on an individual basis, there's so much talk, and this is really gathering a lot of momentum now in the international cricket channels, is that the Indian women's cricket team are the one of the most exciting and talented cricket teams on the rise and could potentially challenge Australia for World Cups and titles and trophies and series. And I'm, Rory, you asked, you asked me last week, like, will anyone ever come close to them? I saw enough from India in those last two one-day games to say, yeah, I think they really can come close to them. But they really need the backing and the structure 
from the BCCI to really give them the tools. And we've got a great composition here in the WBBL, which some of the Indian girls have signed up to be a part of this year. And we're going to love seeing that. But the onus is really now on them to give them a proper IPL experience and a fantastic domestic tournament. Yeah, that's right. It's something that I've been talking about for at least a few years now that there's no no proper women's IPL. They've had the experiments with those that three-team kind of tournament, but, you know, that's not a competition really. Yeah, the BCCI really hasn't given the women the credit they deserve um, in terms of payment, in terms of support. Uh, I think it's time that the BCCI stop focusing on Virat Kohli's and MS Dhoni's and, you know, look at Harman Preet Kaur as one of the leaders of Indian cricket. And I think it's a lot of it is going to be, I think in the women's sphere of cricket, it's going to be who's brave enough to ditch the money that's evident in the short form and go for that longer game and that longer format of test cricket. And I think, it, I mean, BCCI really don't have any issues going for it. And I think Cricket Australia is in a similar thing, but to me, who's going to be dominant in 10 years time in women's cricket is going to be the team that abandons, well, not really abandons, but more puts more focus on the test matches that they can play and really gets as much test match cricket into them as possible. I think that's the side and the country that's going to end up being the powerhouse next when, you know, the likes of the Lannings and the Healy's and the Haynes retire and the Perry's, I think it's going to be who's played more test cricket and who has that experience in the longer format is going to bring out more depth and more consistency across any type of cricket. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It really is now on them because you look at the IPL and what's going on now and all the glitz and all the glamour and the money. And I think, um, Rory, you're a lot closer to this than both of us, but I think they've got about six different man of the match awards that they could easily put the, some of the resources into that, into getting a women's competition up off the ground. And it would be great when you see young players like Shafali, Shafali Verma burst onto the scene, Risha Gosh as well. And then you've got other gun Indian players who we haven't seen yet on what well, we've seen on this tour, but Gemma Rodriguez, who she's one that we haven't seen on the tour yet, but um, Snehrana as well, who was one of the big protagonists in winning that game for India the other day. It's they've got the talent. They certainly have the talent to compete and field all these teams together. They just need the backing from the BCCI and you hear least the, Lista Stalakis speaking about Shafali Verma on the coverage the other day. These girls love their cricket just as much as the Indian men. And the biggest thing that they need to do is really embrace the fact that, well, women's cricket's been here for many, many years now, and they should really come to the party and give them the platform just as the rest of the countries around the world have started to make real big investments in that side of the sport. Some selection news for India we saw in the nets over the recent one day is that their well, their vice captain, Hamanpreet Kaur, is going to be back. She's missed the one day leg of the tour through injury, but she'll be back from, but she'll be back for the the test match and she will be captaining the T20 side. You've got the engine room at the top of the order of Verma Mandana and the captain Matali Raj. It's going to be really interesting to see how they go and particularly looking at Shafali Verma made her test debut against England in the middle of the year. I just wonder how is she going to play it? Is she going to be true to herself and continue with her, um, one gear and just really go after the bowling or is she going to be a bit more conservative and play a bit more within herself? For me, I think the Indian women's test brand is sort of very conservative. I don't think they're going to be swinging for the boundary at all. I think that especially against Australian lineup, that's got some very good pace in it. Um, I just don't think they'd be taking too many risks. They don't want to, you know, lose a game in two days where they could drag it out to all four. Uh, in terms of Harman Preet Kaur, her test record is is not great. I think it's fair to say she's played only the three matches, but she's only hit uh, 38 runs at 7.6. So she hasn't really proved herself at the test level yet. I think she's got something to show and we might see something special when they come back. Yeah, and I think it's another just sort of interesting thing to see for Kaur where, I mean, her career has had a lot of 
great high points in it, but it's the one last area where she's going to go down as sort of that person who guides India into their state of dominance in women's cricket. It's going to have to be like her off the bat in test cricket and really doing it against teams like Australia. And I mean, even looking to talking about Shafali Verma, I think she's another one who, although she's much younger, there's a lot on her, even if it's not obvious yet. And I really hope that, although Rory makes a great point, and I agree that the Indian style of test cricket in the women's game, it's very conservative. You really hope that there's some part of her that naturally takes over. So, you know, it might just add a different sort of look against Australia that might really change how, you know, women's test cricket is played, especially against the powerhouse that is Australia. Well, we certainly will find out in the next four days. We remember a few, only a few months ago when India played England and they've, they gritted and fought and really saved the test which, when it looked down a lay-down Mazair that they would lose that game within three days. But the batting partnerships in the lower order really gritted out and saved the game for India. So they do know how to play this form of the game and it will be interesting to see if the great Australian team can, I guess, put another clinical performance together and get those four points heading into the T20 the T20 international leg of the tour before everyone disperses and goes into the WBBL, which it will be fantastic to see the likes of Shmiti Mandana and Shafali Verma um, coming in and playing in that tournament. I guess that's another step forward into growing the game in not only India by seeing them, those girls come in and play that competition, but could open the door as well to see some of the Indian men who don't play test cricket and one day cricket um, come in and play that competition down here in Australia. Yeah. I don't like the chances of the men being allowed to come out and play in Australia. Um, the BC side is pretty, pretty strict with these things. They want to protect the IPL at all costs. So I think there's a possibility that when the women's IPL comes in that we might see the Indian women stop coming to Australia as well, but that'll be a, a tragedy. I think also what, like, while it's excellent that these, like the professional Indian women are playing in the WBBL, I think it's really that next year down that needs to grow in, in women's Indian cricket. Uh, but yeah, the, the BBL is going to be an amazing spectacular. WBBL will be an amazing spectacular and uh, good on Hobart for putting their hands up to, to host that one. We certainly are looking forward to that. Well, boys, we'll change it up. It's been a bit of a long first segment. Let's break it up. Let's break up the seriousness with a bit of silly. Oh. <laughs> now, that's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time. Now, how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it, and he can't either. So, I'm sorry, what? It's the juggernaut that's going from strength to strength every single week here on the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast. And I'm going to go first this week, boys, because I saw something that which shocked me and I sent it to our group chat immediately. And I'm just like, what on earth has happened here? I'm watching along the final day of the county championship. All the games are being played at once. And then a video pops through on Twitter. I'm watching a different game. Dom Sibley stepped out of his crease and hit a six. I didn't think he was capable of doing that. And I saw that. I'm like, what's going on here? Um, I was so confused. It was great to see that he could play a bit more than a forward defence. He's got a great forward defence, Dominic. Um, It's helped him a lot and has carried him to great things in his England career so far. But stepping out in his England six, maybe, maybe, maybe that just might just be enough to get him on the plane for the Ashes tour. Yeah, that it could possibly get him out in the Ashes tour, but I, I watched. I went back and watched the highlights of, of that innings after you sent it to us, and I was surprised there was reverse sweeps in there as well. I, I've just never seen Dom Sibley play like that. Expansive but, Dom. Yeah, that's right, and I think it could ruin his brand <laughs> from a marketing point of view. This is this is not good from Dom. Also, I'm not too sure how this is going to affect his career, but like he's now shown that he can step it up a gear, but he has never done it in terms of Test cricket. I really think he should have at least, like when he was going through that bad patch of form, which you could probably describe his whole career as, um, he would never tried to play these expansive shots in test cricket. I think that was it's really an, an issue that needs to be looked at for him. If he can play these shots, he should be. 
I think he needs to to get on a plane to Australia if they end up coming at all. But now seeing he can do that, I mean, I didn't believe it until I actually watched a video. I saw it and thought there was a mistype somewhere in the caption. But I mean, now seeing that that's actually a possibility with his big burly arms, I think he needs to do it somewhat bit more often than once every three years and especially in the test sphere when he really gets tied down and while we're at it i may as well go next because i mean this video i'm sure we're all great consumers of cricket media on the likes of facebook and twitter so i'm sure both of you have seen at least something like this here but came in about i think about eight or nine days ago and i think it's just too good not to discuss and break down um so, I mean, looking at this video that's been posted, it's of a random village cricket game, as the best ones are. Um, looks like it's somewhere in Europe or England. And there's a little scorecard at the bottom, which helps us identify who these culprits are. But there's been a horrible, horrible mix-up in this game of cricket and very angry confrontation between one Adam Laddack, who is uh, facing and yet to get off the mark, because here are four balls, you know, conservative start. It's only the fifth over, but they're going at nine and over. So he knows he needs to step it up and he does. It's this ball coming in um, that bounces twice and he plays this hockey sort of sweep shot to mid off that gets some air time, but obviously falls short of a fielder. And there's been the old yes, no, maybe. Um, and both batsmen or batters have met in the middle of the pitch as the ball clatters into the stumps at the non-striker's end. And one poor M Evans, who looked like he was going all right, 12 off eight, getting a brisk start, is run out. Now, you know, that's pretty commonplace. Runouts and village cricket happens a bit. But um, then there seems to be a um, Evans not happy with it and throws a bat. But it only goes into his partner's face. And poor Adam Ladakh cops a bat to the unhelmeted face. And all anger leaves. And there just seems to be a bit of consoling. And it's probably the most village thing I've ever seen. And have either of you witnessed anything even slightly like this? Because I can't say that I have. I've witnessed something somewhat similar, although it's not entirely the same. I just like to say that I'm glad that the the, uh, the perpetrator consoled the victim after this because I've played with some guys that would not do that. Uh, but yeah, so once I've seen, I saw a guy get out once, and then he's gone to throw his bat against the concrete floor as you do when you get out for some reason in cricket. We take it out on the gear rather than try to get better ourselves, uh, and it's the bat's bounced up and gone onto the roof of the the ground of what do you call it? Of the dressing room. So yeah, he had to get on the ladder and get that one down. So yeah, the, the old cricket tantrums, one of the best, uh, best stories going around. I've heard of um, Matthew Pryor swinging his bat and breaking the window in the Lord's dressing room, but I've never heard of anyone swinging their bat and trying to take out their batting partner, even when they've just run them out. I've never experienced anything like that before in local cricket. It's um Pretty scary when you've got a bat running running back into you. I saw, I think, um, I think I saw another video during the wake of someone just um, went went for a went to hit a beam ball, missed it, and it bounced, and then almost then with the backswing of the bat, nearly took out the wicketkeeper, and the wicketkeeper just drops to try and take evasive action. We've seen a few flying bats before in the um. BBL, um, namely Bradley Hodge with his um, massive swing of the bat and left his hands and then lands on the head of Peter Neville, um, if you remember that one from a few years back. So they're very rare, but, um, yeah, village cricketers um, who get a shocking dismissal, they're probably the scariest people in the world for that five-minute patch from when they've just been dismissed. So I guess um, steer clear of them and particularly um, particularly if it's a really, really bad one, like a mid-pitch barbecue, um, it's really it's really one to look out from and just beware of flying cricket bats. Kids, wear your helmets because you never know what your partner's going to do if you burn them. Yeah, that's it. So I don't know if you guys saw this overnight, but the Bob Willis Trophy Finals being played in England between the two best teams in the county championship. So it's between Langage and Warwickshire. John, your mate Dom Sidley's playing in that game. And uh, yeah, so Lancashire go into bat. They win the toss, have a bat. And they think, oh, we'll put on a decent score, get 300, bat the day out, and then we'll chuck your Warwickshire in. 30 minutes into the day, they're six for 12. Now, this is just an unbelievable bowling performance from Warwickshire, who are missing none of the England players are playing. So it's a bunch of, I don't know if you call them amateurs, but, you know, they're not the top tier players, but 
Yeah, six for 12. Have you guys ever seen anything as bad in a final? It's a pretty big choke, isn't it? Not in a final. There's been some games where there's been teams that are... We had one a couple of years ago at local cricket where there was a team that wasn't up to it that we've probably had about eight for four and they've scrambled to about eight all out, probably by a sneak through slip four. Um, But, God, not in any type of professional final or high-level game have I seen a team reduce a six for 12 and such a quick space of time because it just happened so ridiculously fast. That's the beauty of cricket, isn't it? You can get these crazy score lines happening and you have some team that either pull it out of the fire or they just go on and choke. I know for my, my cricket club had a couple of instances last season where both in the final where they made low scores of the bat and one of them ended up defending it by bowling the other team out for sub 60 it was. And then the our ones got agonisingly close. They had the team nine down, had a decision go against them um, where they thought it was out, but it wasn't given out. And then the opposition hit the winning runs, not not too many deliveries later. So yeah, it can happen, particularly on that, but in a big final, I can't ever recall it happening in a major trophy final and Bob Willis trophy is definitely a major trophy final, um, but it's yeah, it's definitely one of the craziest things. But Dom definitely played his role. Don't don't badmouth my mouth. Don't badmouth my mate Dom um, Rory. He's adding some shots to his game. He really wants to get himself onto the Ashes tour, which um, remains to be seen how many of his teammates want to join him. So I guess as we finish, I'm sorry, what, and we move into the next part of our discussion out of all the Australian Ashes and the grumblings out of the UK as of this moment, I guess we're no closer to knowing if the Ashes Tour will go ahead. Um, There's been lots of discussions from England. They want to know the protocols. Um, I guess all Australians want to know what protocols they'll be living. And then after hosting a magnificent AFL Grand Final this weekend, Perth stuck their head up again and said, um, well, we actually want to change the schedule around that properly benefits us. Um, I guess they may have a point, like they might not want fully infected people from New South Wales coming into Perth from the fourth and the fifth test, um, which makes sense, even though all the players will be in a bubble. But what do we make of Perth just trying to, well, firstly, for for those who are listening to us overseas, Perth's Perth doing their best at the moment to secede from the rest of the country. Um, so it's very um, interesting um, to know what's going on between the rest of the states in Australia and Western Australia as well. So do they have a point in trying to get the Ashes schedule changed around to try and best benefit them? Or is it just a matter of them trying to get on their high horse and ride the wave of a great weekend for them, which was the AFL Grand Final? Yeah, I think it's... WA, if, if WA has proved anything over the last one and a half years of COVID, it's they have a very high opinion of themselves. Uh, they think you're a little bit more important than they are, but obviously they want to act in their best interest and getting a Perth test match is in that best interest. So it makes sense that they want to, to get a test into Perth. I think by the time the Perth test is scheduled is January 15. So I don't know, the vaccination numbers in New South Wales and Victoria should be you know, up towards the 90s at that point. I don't see why. Um, there'd be an issue there, but yeah, it's all a bit of a mess. This, this Ashes series so far, uh, there's a lot to do for Cricket Australia. Mm. I think the the biggest issue for Perth is so the, the WA government doesn't want to have the England players quarantining in WA, so they're not allowed to fly into WA and stay there for the two weeks quarantine that they're going to have to do before they start playing. So what they need, what Perth wants, is for them to fly into say a, a South Australia quarantine there probably at the Adelaide Oval Hotel and then play in Perth after that I just think that Perth is asking an awful lot of not just Cricket Australia but also the English team that's you know they're going through a lot in England like they're playing they they played their test matches relatively uh, in relative freedom they had proper crowds and that's kind of this whole the whole argument here from the English players is that like coming out of the ashes is just a bit too much and I think if we were to change the schedule on them, it probably adds to that. And we, do we really want to lose more players from the England team? Do we want to have a second-rate English team out here? It might be good for a 5 nil victory, but it's not good for the for the cricket that is the Ashes. Yeah. yeah. And 
I mean, it, I think it's a classic Perth play. I mean, you can't blame them, as you say, for having their best interests, you know, at their heart and wanting to get, you know, prime time testing and not have it impacted at the very end of the summer. But I mean, another interesting thing I'm seeing during the week is Tim Payne talking about Hobart's chances of, you know, if it falls through, are they going to get considered until he's just scared that it's going to end up being, you know, multiple tests piling up in the one city and Hobart's going to get overlooked. So I think that's another interesting dynamic to throw in is, well, if someone like a Melbourne or a Sydney, as hard as it is, if they're not ready, do you go to Hobart? I think it's going to be a matter of what, the AFL just went through and that's going to be take the game to where there's very little COVID and where you can get a crowd because ultimately you can't have the Ashes test matches played in front of no fans. Um, that's just, uh, that's just wrong. That is a no go. And it's important. There's so many different layers to it as well. And I'm no scientist or epidemiologist who can, predict what the landscape's going to be like in Melbourne, Victoria, New South Wales, and the, for, for that matter, the rest of Australia come December, January, when these test matches are going to be played. But what we do know is that it is getting closer to decision time for the ECB and the England players as to whether or not they are going to come out. It's interesting. Um We've heard from a few England greats over the last week. Kevin Peterson said there's no way he'd be coming, whereas former England Ashes winning captain Michael Vaughan has written his piece in the Times in the UK to say that this could be the England players should commit themselves and this could be the greatest Ashes triumph in the history of the sport should they come here under all the quarantine restrictions away from families, which remains the biggest sticking point. But should they come to Australia and do what India did only 12 months ago, they could be remembered in England for the rest of their lives. So it's a massive decision, particularly with how much cricket the England players have played over the last um, 12 to 18 months in and out of biosecure bubbles um some of their players are at the ipl at the moment not all of them are but some of them are so they're in a bubble there and they'll be in that bubble again for the t20 world cup in the uae rory we've already heard of a couple of players retiring and pulling out of this tour so we just wonder who's going to turn up on the doorstep but it's a very interesting discussion that all these England players are grappling with at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So we've heard a few names. Joss Butler's the obvious one. He's been his name's been thrown about a lot. That he probably won't be coming out if the conditions in regards to family don't change. So currently, the, what the Australian government position is is that it'll just be the players, minimal amount of people. So you get some players, you get some staff, but that'll be it. I think what the English players want are to have their families out in Australia at least for a small amount of the time. Otherwise, I think it's just too much to ask of, of anyone these days to go six months without, you know, that contact. Would you be surprised if these Ashes don't go ahead? Uh, yes, I'd be very surprised. I think both um, the ECB and Cricket Australia will do anything they have to do to make these Ashes go ahead. I think the Ashes is too big to lose. Uh, and, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely go ahead, whether that's with the first-tier players or not. That's to be seen, but yeah, England will find a way to send 15 players out here. Sean, one of the players that won't be coming is Moeen Ali, who announced his retirement from Test Cricket this week, made some interesting comments in the aftermath. Um, One that really stood out to me was, I was wasted, but in a good way. How would we, how will we look back at Moeen Ali, the Test player? I think it'll be a little softer in the glow of retirement I think he copped a lot while playing and some of it justified some of it probably a bit unfair I mean at times his bowling really was handy and they needed it but it never got to the heights that probably many expected and I mean there's a lot of comments at least coming enough from him retiring before another down under tour that he's doing it to avoid Nathan Lyon you know perennial perennial enemy and bunny of him Um, but I mean still at his best his batting was I mean, very, very helpful and game-breaking at times. I think he's just going to go down as another case of one who promised so much, but in the end, 
just avoided delivering? Yeah, it's interesting. I always look at Moeen Ali as a great all-rounder, but he's a bits and pieces cricketer. He can bat really well. He On his day, he can get you 100. And on his day with the ball, he can bowl really tightly, take a bag, take a test hat trick, take a fifer. Whether or not he could do that consistently for England and be their frontline spinner, which he was asked to do on many occasions, probably wasn't fair to him. So I can understand what he was saying by he felt a little bit wasted. But again, he still played a massive role in that team over the years that he played. And for him to eke out that much test cricket, for all the test cricket that England play, it's a real hats off to Moeen. And he'll still be around the white ball setup where he remains a massive threat. But I guess just returning to Australia really quickly, we've had few more hiccups and it's probably adding to the complications to getting this Ashes tour on the ground um, at the moment. We've only had um, one Sheffield Shield match take place between South Australia and Western Australia. We had a Sheffield Shield clash postponed on the morning of the game in between Brisbane and Tasmania. Tasmania flew home because of a COVID scare in Brisbane. So if you've got... Um, state team flying home how on earth do you think an international team will fly out here to the quarantine only for matches to be cancelled on the day of we've spoken on this podcast a couple of times of morning of games cancellations and tours um but i guess from an australian point of view is if you've got shield matches being cancelled left right and center victoria and new south wales only just went into quarantine to get some of their games underway. How many hits will Australian players actually get in? Yeah, it doesn't look like a lot, does it? I think obviously we've got a few in, few overseas in the IPL and we'll be at the World Cup. But in terms of the Red Bull players, it doesn't look like they're getting a, a, ton, of, a ton of play in. Uh, maybe Travis Head's got that number five spot locked because he's the only one playing. Well, but, Cameron Green's also had a bit of a hit, and he also filled his boots a little bit on the highway that was Karen Rolton Oval. Yeah, they should have played that one on a on a literal road. I think it would have been exactly the same. But I'm I don't know about you guys. I've sensed a theme. We've had brought this podcast back for three weeks now, and there's been three either game cancellations or series cancellations. Do you think we we've had some kind of effect on the cricket? Do you think they've cancelled it because of us? I think we've modelled them. I think so. I mean, if the only cricket that's getting played is on something that is as flat as the freeways in Australia, then there's not really much chance to see anything. And, I mean, it raises that question of is it a big error not playing shield cricket in a hub? Because, I mean, we saw last year the hub was the only reason why, you know, the domestic season got out of it what it did. So you wonder by now where there's cancellations in the Tasmanian team flying home on the morning of have we missed a trick by probably resting on our laurels a bit and not being completely certain by, you know, playing this shield career in the hub again? I can understand from Cricket Australia's point of view that they want to want to have the season as normal as possible. But again, you have to remain flexible and remain agile, particularly with the fickle and fluid situation that is happening all over Australia at the moment that, yeah, maybe they would miss a trick. And we saw the... WBBL react and get all their, they will be getting all their teams down to Tasmania. They're quarantining there at the moment, those players who aren't involved in the Australian series. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. And it might be one that Cricket Australia look back in hindsight and say, well, we definitely should have done that. But nonetheless, the countdown is on to December the 8th and where the first test match starts. Um, Hopefully it all goes ahead and hopefully all the Australian players are well equipped because if we go into the test match with um, David Warner sitting on the sidelines, um, Pukowski not having a hit, um, Tim Payne injured, Steve Smith um, just having a hit and a giggle in the IPL before going into um, the T20 World Cup, it's not going to be the greatest preparation for that Australian team and if you can if you can imagine the backlash that came their way after losing to a third string Indian 11 um imagine what it will be like if they let go of the urn on home soil um let's finish up with a few of these 
So just to finish up the show, some quick singles, some quick questions requiring some quick answers. Um, Rory, we mentioned this before, David Warner is currently sitting on the bench for Sunrises. He's had a couple of chances and hasn't taken them. Will he end up making SRH look silly at the upcoming World Cup? From an Australian perspective, I'd love to say yes, but I don't know. David Warner just doesn't look uh, like he can hit it off the square, to be honest with you. Those last couple of IPL games he played were, were not good to watch. And, yeah, hopefully it's not the end of David Warner, but I could see it. I can see the decline almost beginning, to be honest with you, and it's it's sad to say. Sean, you take this one. Uh, with Moeen now retired, who do you think England's frontline spinner is going to be at the Ashes? My immediate idea is no one. I mean, I could very realistically see him playing for pace bowlers just because they don't really have someone sticking their head out. I think it's going to be between Jack Leach and Don Best. But out of them, I mean, it's almost a flip of the coin of do you want another off spinner you send to Australia to almost die out or get slaughtered if they get in the wrong conditions? Um, Jono, talking about sort of slaughtering in Australian conditions, Elise Perry, the last time she faced a pink ball, was brilliant. How big do you reckon she's going to go in this upcoming test match with the bat this time? I want to say big again, just because Elise Perry in the test match form and not only with the pink ball, but the last time she got an opportunity to play the test, play test cricket up against England in Thornton, she went big there too. So I'm going to say it will be a brilliant return to form for Elise. And it might not be a daddy hundred, but it will definitely, she will be raising the bat at least once. Um, it will be great to see. So um, Rory, we sort of touched on this before and they might need to get creative with some of the Ashes test match. Will the Boxing Day test and the New Year's test be played in their regular locations this season? Yeah, I'm pretty confident they will be. It- like the vaccination numbers look good. Uh, we've seen, obviously, seen the roadmaps for Victoria and New South Wales of when we're going to get back back to you know whatever normal is now. It looks like we'll probably be able to get cricket by what is effectively what three months away still. So you don't know what the COVID situation could be in three months, but it looks like we should be okay. It's good news for everyone, I think. Um, so, Sean, we've obviously seen the IPL is back. It's bigger than ever. And the big show is also dominating. So do you think he's finally back after a return to form where he took a couple of wickets and hit a 50 the other night? I think it's the annual cycle of the big show that he seems to really start off at the start of the IVL struggling. And then he sort of comes good at that back end just when it's probably irrelevant for the IPL team he's part of, but it's great for the stars and the home summer of cricket. So I think he's just starting to come into season again. He's getting a bit ripe is the big show. And I think it's good for everyone in Australia. And I'm tipping another pretty big summer from him in that limited overs cricket. Now, speaking of a team that hasn't really found their form in probably uh, recent memory, South Australia, John I think we're going to have a question every week for them, especially, I mean, they showed some resistance on the Karen Rockton Highway during the week, but will they ever win a match? And I'm hoping that means this season, but it could mean eternally. Are they ever going to win a match? Uh, <laughs> uh, we definitely will be speaking about South Australia a lot on this podcast. Um, Rory, you are a red back at heart and I don't want to break your heart. Um, I don't, no is the answer to that question. Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I think I think Jason Gillespie does have them on the right path. They've got on a bit of a journey. If we can use some old cliches and footy speak, they're on a journey. They're going to take the learnings out of each game that they play and they're going to hopefully put all that towards um, creating a good positive environment. But they're led by great leaders in Alex Gary and Travis Head who go out there and do all that they can with the bat. They've recruited some great young players as well to Jake Carter, Nathan McSweeney, Nathan McAndrew, I'm sorry, to come in and help really boost them up. So I think they are on the right path and I think they will record some wins. You might be able to count them on one hand over the different um, formats for the Redbacks that they might win this season, but they definitely will get some wins from starting from ground zero last year, really, when Dizzy took over the job. Um, of course, all the investigations and bickering coming 
in South Australian cricket at the moment. It's all going on in the background. Hopefully it can all be resolved soon. Um, as I said last week, we'll have to put in a call to our mate Tuggers as well to catch up on the situation over there. And I guess, Rory, one for you to finish off. Um, if we see a debutant in the men's test match this summer, we've spoken about how there could be four baggy greens handed out tomorrow for our women, but there's going to be a baggy green handed out to our men this summer. Who will it be given to? And as far as I'm concerned, there's only one correct answer here. I disagree, John. I've got three names for you. Let me chuck them at you quickly. So if we need a bowler, we're going Michael Nessa. He's a gun. He's been 12th man for about 45 years, so he deserves a go. Uh, obviously, there's an injury cloud over Tim Payne, so I'd have Alex Carey take the gloves and there seems to be an opener spot that's also a bit, uh, it's no one's kind of rusted onto that position. So I think Sam Whiteman is a is a smoky there to put his hand up and take that position. I'm actually a fan of all those names. You definitely got me there. Um, I'm big on Michael Nessa and I think the momentum's growing. Um, Barat Sundarason's been leading the charge. Hashtag Nessa must play. So we're all looking for that. And I think first test at the Gabba, it will be a match made in heaven. Well, again, we will be looking at Queensland this week to just really bring us the remainder of this absorbing Australia versus India series before we head down south into the IP, not, not the IPL, the WBBL. I'm getting my wires crossed here. But, boys, we've got something very exciting to announce as part of the Over and Stumps and the Inner Sanctum. We will be launching our lunchtime live discussion on Twitter spaces every day throughout the summer of cricket at lunchtime of the test matches you can join us on twitter spaces to analyze the first session of play and have a chat about the action that's gone on and some of the action that will continue throughout the rest of the day well i'm definitely looking forward to that that's going to be more it's a uh, i'd suggest everyone come along give it a listen it's going to be a great time grab your lunch and sit down and have a good discussion yeah, so we'll be looking forward to that. And, of course, you can, through Twitter spaces, you have your chance to come in and ask us some questions too. You can ask um, Sean how his um, weight training's going so he can practice hitting sixes. And you can ask Rory about the temperature in Canberra. And you can ask me when we're ever probably going to get out of lockdown. The answer's probably never, but you never know. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Over and Stumps. You can read all our fantastic work at The Inner Sanctum. That's www.theinnersanctum.com.au. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and do not forget to tell your mate. We will be back next week to discuss what is hopefully a fantastic test match between Australia and India and bring you up to date with everything in the world of cricket. And hopefully, hopefully we'll have a special guest on the show for everyone next week to have another fantastic chat. Sean, Rory, it's been a pleasure as always. And once again, that is over and stumps.